Uh, okay, so before we jump into uh, the reading of the scripture, we're going to do what we always do. Who knows what we're going to do? The young ones know what we're going to do. So kids, let's talk about what we're going to talk about before we talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, let's talk about this passage in 2 Corinthians, uh, and this is how we're going to get at it. Kids, who knows what a piggy bank is? Something to hold money in. What does it look like? What does a piggy bank look like? A piggy bank. I wish I had one. So someone describe a piggy bank to me. What's it look like? Looks like a pig. Bam. Great. Looks like a pig. Uh, and what's it made out of? Yeah, it's like glass. It's like pores. Yeah, it's like originally these things were made out of, well, wait, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, wait, piggy bank. Okay, we know what it is. What do you put in the piggy bank? Coins, money. Okay, what's the big deal about a piggy bank? If you don't have a wallet, this is where you put your, this is where you put your cash, your dough, your coins, your treasures, your, your jewels. Okay, so what's the really, really important thing about the piggy bank? Is it the piggy or is it the bank. bank? It's the bank, Henry. Yes, we want what's inside the piggy, not just the piggy. Uh, okay, question, kids, do you ever wonder why they call it a piggy bank? <laughs> Well, I did today, Charlie. I wondered why, why do they call it a piggy bank? I mean, now, come on, think about it. Like, why do we put money in a pig? Okay, this is why. Hundred, for hundreds and thousands of years, people used to put, like, all their valuable stuff in jars of clay. Like, just cheap simple jar, like you could make a jar of clay really easily, and that's where they would keep their money, their jewels, all their cool stuff, okay? Okay, well then, back in the day, they used this orange clay that was called pig. It was P-Y-G-G. -G. Maybe it was pronounced like pig or, or something, but it was, it was called, and, and then with, you know, English developing this P-Y-G-G, -G, it started being pronounced pig, and so you would go get your clay pot made out of pig, and they would call them pig pots. Oh, Henry's following, yeah. They were called pig pots, and then somebody had the bright idea of, like, they went to their potter, and they said, Mr. Potter, hey, today when you make my pig pot, my clay jar, uh, hey, make it look like a pig. And the potter was like, that's hilarious, that's awesome. And so they started making these pig pots in the shape of pigs, and that's where you get your piggy banks. Okay? That's where piggy banks come from. You know how you get in, not anymore, but you know back in the day when you filled up your piggy bank, do you know how you got the good stuff inside of it? You have to break it now. Good. Graham remembers back way, way, way back in the day. Yeah. No, yeah. Luke said you could, you know, there, now there's a contraption, a hole. You can get it all out. Back in the day, they didn't have that. You had to smash the thing. Okay, you had to smash the thing to get it. Okay, here's the so what, so what, so what. Okay, Paul, the apostle, is going to tell us today, we, you and me, we're like piggy banks. We are jars of clay with treasure inside of us. What do you think the treasure is? Was that stretching or were you raising your hand, Peyton? Look like stretching. What do you think the treasure is? Just blurt it out. You're a jar of, God says you're a jar of clay and there is a treasure inside of you. What do you think it is? Jesus, God, yes, that's right. 
it is the God, it is the good news of Jesus. Like what you carry around inside of you is Jesus and the good news about what Jesus has done for you. That's this awesome treasure that is inside of you. And the weird thing is, the weird thing is we think, whoa, wait, I'm a jar of clay. The message of the gospel is like a treasure inside of you and you're a jar of clay. God has put that treasure in you like you're a piggy bank. And that's crazy because we're fragile. Like it's weird that God would give us that awesome treasure of Jesus because like, how are we fragile? We get hungry. If we don't eat, we die we, we get tired. You can't stay awake forever and ever. Some of you are having trouble staying awake right now. Like, we get tired. We get what? We get hot. We get cold. We get sick. We get hurt. Like, we're fragile. We break. We get cracks in us. And when you get hurt, and when you're suffering, and when stuff is really hard, what's the awesome thing that could still shine out of you? God. Jesus. The, the good news of the gospel that, like, let's just think about it. Like, when you get hurt and someone says, man, are you going to be okay? You're like, yeah, I'm going to be okay. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm broken. The world is broken. But it's okay because, because of Jesus. Like, when you have cracks in you and people see that your life isn't perfect, but they see something else awesome coming out of you, this hope, this love, this power, that you believe that everything is going to be okay because of Jesus— that changes things. That, like, that's the treasure inside of you that people see when things get hard. So saying, this is the last thing, saying you are a jar of clay does not mean you're not important. That's not what Paul is saying when he says that. You're the most important thing to Jesus. You're the most important thing to God because he sends his son to what? What does he send Jesus to do for you? To save you. That's how, that's how important you, you're everything to Jesus. He lives for you. He dies for you in order to save you. That's the treasure. That's the power at work in you that shines out even when you're feeling broken and cracked and messed up. That's the treasure in jars of clay like us, uh, the gospel inside of you. That's what we're going to talk about today in our summer series in 2 Corinthians. This is, uh, this is the letter that Paul writes after 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are written to the same church, and they're very, very different letters. 1 Corinthians deals with a series of problems, one, on, one right after the other. 2 Corinthians is about one problem uh, that Paul just keeps going back over and over and over, and it's this. The church does not like Paul anymore because they do not like Paul's message anymore. And this morning, we're getting to the heart of Paul's message. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, 
we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, There is a lot there. Uh, Present hope, future hope. Uh, We're really focusing on the present hope today, future hope next Sunday. But here it is. According to this guy, Paul, the good news about Jesus, it includes suffering. I mean, just think about that. The good news about Jesus includes suffering. It includes not having a bunch of victories in this life. It includes losing. Uh, It's not about being strong. It's about being weak and about waiting Waiting, waiting, patiently waiting, long-suffering waiting for a better life after you die. That's Paul's gospel, and, you know, people want to say, sorry, Paul. Uh, A lot of people don't like that message. A lot of people in the Corinthian church did not like that so-called good news. So they attack Paul behind his back, and they try to take over the church. So the church in Corinth, who, who Paul is writing to, uh, they have been convinced by false teachers that Paul, the apostle, could not be a real apostle of Jesus because of Paul's sufferings. As in the church in Corinth had adopted this, this health and wealth gospel that said, listen, it, here, here's the gospel. If you do right, if you're a good Christian, things are going to go well for you. God is going to do good for you. God will bless you. And that's really not working out for Paul, is it? Because everyone knew this guy was a, he's a walking disaster, ticking time bomb. So the argument is he can't possibly be doing this Christian thing right. How could he be an apostle when his life is such a mess? This guy is, I'm sorry, he's a loser. And he's not the leader that you should be following. Now, there is suffering and then there's suffering. Paul's suffering is truly in a league of its own, and that is not at all to minimize uh, your suffering, our suffering. I'm mean, just, just saying that what Jesus and what Paul said about Paul's suffering. If you remember in Acts chapter 9, earlier in the New Testament, Jesus uh, comes to Paul, and this is what he says uh, to Paul when Paul becomes a Christian. He says, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So from the beginning, Jesus had planned for Paul to suffer in a really unique way. And, and we get a snapshot of his suffering. From, we get this from Paul himself later in this same letter, 2 Corinthians. This is later in chapter 11. He, this is, he, Paul says this. He says, I've been in prison tons of times. I've suffered countless beatings, often near death. That's just him generalizing his suffering. And then he, gets, and then he gives us some specifics. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
40 lashes less one, 39 lashes. In Israel, if you really wanted to punish someone but not kill them, uh, the most they could give you is 39 lashes because they believe that 40, that, that was it, that was a death sentence, you'd, you'd die, that would kill you. So he got that five different times. It says, three times I was beaten with rods. That's punishment by the Romans. It says, once I was stoned. That's back in Lystra. They actually, they, they assumed that they had finished Paul off, but he survived. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, floating adrift in the ocean for an entire night, an entire day. Talk about my living nightmare. Then he goes into just the run-of-the-mill sufferings of his travels. This is just, the, this is just you know, crossing dangerous rivers, getting robbed by bandits, being hunted down by his own people, being run off by Gentiles, danger in the wilderness, wild animals, danger in the city, people acting like wild animals, sleepless nights, going hungry, severe dehydration, going cold, exposure to the elements. And then he caps it. He's like, that's just the physical stuff. The emotional stuff is even worse. He says the extreme anxiety and stress that he has over the churches that he has planted. His anger over people who say they have converted and then they abandon the faith and they tank the church plants. And back here in chapter 4, this is how, you know, so coming back to this passage, Paul then breaks down his suffering this way. He says, afflicted in every way. All the stuff we just, you know, said. Then he says, perplexed. That is Paul's suffering, constant, everyday confusion, anxiety, and doubt. Isn't, this is doubting Paul. Paul doubted all the time, what is God doing? Why is God doing this? Is this God's plan? Am I going to survive this? Am I going to make it my whole life as a Christian? Persecuted. Gets it from the Jews. He gets it from the Gentiles. He gets it from the Romans. Heretical Christians. It's, it's just the best when everyone, every group has it out for you. It's, it's terrible. Uh, struck down. I mean, how many, how many near-death experiences does Paul have? And then all of his emotional anguish. So for all of our brothers and sisters who struggle with depression, here is Paul who knew depression, sadness, stress, anxiety, confusion. And y'all, at the time that Paul is writing this, he does not know what is still coming. Here's what's still coming for Paul. Five legal trials. He's going to be put on trial five times, and his freedom and his life are going to be hanging in the balance. Two assassination attempts. He's going to get locked up for two years. And then shipwreck number four. Like, are you kidding me? And then, at the end of that shipwreck, he actually gets to land, and as soon as he gets to land, he starts building a fire. He gets bit by a venomous snake. This guy is literally snake bit. And everyone, the islanders who see this, they say, okay, when the, it says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, well, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And at this point, Paul's opponents would have said, like, exa exactly. Like, that's what we're saying. That's exactly what we're trying to say. See? Aha. Yes, this is the point. Listen to yourself, Paul. There is no way Paul could be God's chosen messenger. All we see is a guy on the brink of death all the time. 
We want to see the the false teachers are saying, we want to see evidence of the resurrected glory of Christ in his life, and we don't see it. And they're saying, look at us. Look how much we have it together. And these are, these are super successful guys. Our awesome lives, they are saying, our awesome lives, it is the evidence that Jesus is alive in us. Paul is cursed by God. God is not for him. God's against him. If not, if not, then, then what? How do you explain this? Like why, why, what is God doing putting Paul, putting you through so much suffering? And Paul answers his opponents at the very end of this chapter, verse 10, sorry, in the middle of the chapter, verse 10, he says, listen, we true apostles are always carrying in our body the death of Jesus. As in, we suffer like Jesus did, quote, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul's opponents are saying, listen, with all of this suffering, we want to see evidence of the life of the resurrected Christ in your life, Paul. And Paul says, yeah, I know. Uh, My suffering, all of my suffering is the evidence of the life of the resurrected Christ in my life. I left this out intentionally earlier. When Paul breaks down his suffering, listen to how he really breaks it down. Listen to how he qualifies it. He says, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. As in not physically dead. God wants him alive, he's still alive. Not spiritually undone in his sufferings, he's still persevering in faith because God wants him to persevere in faith. He says, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. So yeah, Paul is a wreck physically, emotionally, but he never walked away from the faith. He never went back to his old, cushy life which was undoubtedly so much easier and more comfortable. At times, he's holding on by a thread, and he's holding on. Persecuted, but not forsaken. He, knew that, he knows that the world is against him, and he knows God is not against him, so it's okay. Struck down, but not destroyed. No doubt the devil wanted Paul out of the way. God doesn't, so Paul is not out of the way. Here it is. The fact Paul is suffering and that he is still holding on to Jesus, that is evidence that Jesus is at work in him. That is the evidence of the power of Jesus in him. He is suffering and he is still holding on to Jesus because it's Jesus who is holding on to Paul. The faulty premise is that God does not want you to suffer. That is not true. God does not promise you, me, any of us a life with no suffering. Christians suffer like everyone else. Like we said to the kids, we get tired, we get hungry, we get sick, we get hurt. We have broken relationships, we get lonely, we get depressed. Like, just like everyone, everyone else, we suffer the same old, same old too. And, and, blessed you, Christian, In becoming a Christian, you take on suffering that the world does not take on. You suffer for Christ right now. Like this is you taking up your cross as a Christian. 
as in every time you choose not to indulge your temptations, that is suffering. When you forego your rights, as in someone insults you, and instead of insulting them back, you bless them, that is suffering. Someone hurts you and you forgive them. You are absorbing a cost. That is suffering. When you serve someone else, not to get anything in return, but for the good of that other person because your service is going to do them good, that is sacrificial suffering. When you, when you do good and it costs you, like being honest at work, that's, that's suffering. When you give of your money freely to the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel, that's money that you could spend on yourself. That, is, that comes at a cost. That is suffering. When you share the gospel and when you claim your identity as a Christian in this world, even in this city, that will cost you. And that's suffering. And we, we want to ask, okay, and where is God's power in our weakness and in our suffering? It's this. It is God giving you faith in the midst of your suffering to sustain you in it. Where is God's power in your suffering? It is God sustaining you in your suffering. Is that hard? Yes. There's a movie in 1992 called A League of Their Own. Uh, American sports comedy drama with Gina Davis and Tom Hanks and Madonna. Uh, it's a fictionalized version of the real-life All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. In 1943, World War II, it's raging. It's going to, uh, it's going to cause, the, it causes the shutdown of the MLB, so they start a women's league. Got to keep baseball going. Uh, and at the end, the best player in the league, Dottie, uh, she's about to face off against her little sister, uh, in the championship game, and her husband has just come home from the war. And, and she's just, she is so overwhelmed when he comes home. Uh, she's been keeping it all together while he's been gone. Now he's back, and she just, you know, lets it all go. Uh, and so she's going to quit the game, and she's going to go home. She's going to leave her team. She's got, she's got her husband back. And so her manager, Tom Hanks, he catches her leaving, and this is what he says. He says, taking, this is the day before the big game. This is the day of the big game, championship game. He says, taking a little trip? And she says, no, Bob and I are driving home to Oregon. And he says, you know, I really thought you were a ball player. And she says, well, you were wrong. He says, was I? She says, yeah, it's only a game, Jimmy. It's only a game, and I, I don't need this. I have Bob. I don't need this. And then Jimmy, he says, I gave away five years at the end of my baseball career to drinking. Five years. And now there's, there isn't anything I, would give, I wouldn't give to get back any one day of it. And then she says, well, we're different. He gets really mad. He says, Dottie, if you want to go back to Oregon and make 100 babies, great. I'm in no position to tell anyone how to live, but sneaking out like this, quitting, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up, and you can't deny that. And here it is. She says, it just got too hard. And he says... It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. And I heard my best friend back in high school tell that story when he was giving his testimony as a senior in high school. And my friend said, 
It's the same with Christianity. And I was so floored by it. I mean, I think about that almost, you know, every week. Now, now here, and here's what I want to say, is that what Jimmy Dugan, Tom Hanks, implies here is that it's only a select few that can play baseball and survive the game. And if you can do it, you got to do it. And we got to slightly modify the, the illustration for us to make this point. As in, the Christian life is supposed to be hard. But here's the tweak. If it wasn't hard, no one would do it. As in, if the Christian life were just easy, no trials, no suffering, no affliction, you and I would think, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we would be conscious of it or not, you and I would not need Jesus. And, y'all know, and you, know, you know that's right because you know those seasons in your life when everything is actually going pretty well. And you don't need Jesus. You forget about Jesus. The hard exposes our need. And the hard exposes His persevering power. The hard in the Christian life is what makes it great. The power of God at work in us, it does not mean that we look like Superman. It does not mean we look like Wonder Woman. In this life, the power of Jesus, it is not seen in the super Christian who has it all together. And everything is awesome. The evidence of Jesus' love for you and in you right now is your perseverance in the midst of your sufferings because it is his power and his love at work in you to preserve you. The evidence that Jesus loves you right now, it is not getting every one of your prayers answered. It is not success in your job. It is not, it is not uh, success in your marriage, in your family, in your dating life, in your relationships, with your kids as a parent, with your kids' success and, and their own lives, their relationships. The evidence of the love and the power of Jesus in your life is that in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through, you are still here loving Jesus, confessing that he is your Lord and your Savior. One extreme is that when everything is easy uh, and there's no hard, we don't need Jesus. The other extreme is this, it's that there is hard, but when the trials come, we make God a means to a comfortable end. As in, God, please get me out of this, this affliction, this hardness, and get me into safety. Get me into uh, some peace. Get me into comfort. As if God were a means to comfort. God is never a means to something else. God is always the end. Paul is telling us that trials and our affliction and our suffering, they are a means to God. It's supposed to be hard, and the hard is supposed to drive us to Jesus. Then the hard makes it great. God loves you so much. Paul is saying God loves you so much to give you this suffering, to walk this closely with your Lord and Savior. And the really, 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 really good news is that we actually do not suffer like Jesus suffered. 
as in we don't look to Jesus as our example to get us through our suffering. If he can do it, we can do it. Jesus is not our example. He is our Savior. Our suffering exposes, it reminds us of Jesus' suffering for us, that Jesus voluntarily took on weakness to take ultimate suffering for us. So the hard will drive us to the cross, and at the cross, more than anywhere else, we see that out of extreme evil, out of extreme persecution, out of extreme suffering, out of ultimate weakness, our God has brought total salvation and total redemption for us. The hard will drive you to Jesus, and there you will see your Savior who is with you, who is at work in you, and he will sustain you. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the gospel, even though it comes and it is hard. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, eyes of faith to see that the hard actually makes it great. Lord, uh, that along with Paul, we can say that we would be able to say, you know, today and, and the next day, until you come back, that, yeah, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're, yeah, okay, we're perplexed, we're confused, but we're not driven to despair. Yes, we are persecuted, we see it, but we are not forsaken by you. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And yes, we too will carry in, the, in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our lives. Father, we pray that in all of our cracks and brokenness, the gospel would shine forth all the brighter for us to see and for us to see in each other. Bless us, Lord, to not be shocked or surprised by each other's weakness. Father, that when we see each other weak, we would see you strong and we would remind each other of the gospel, the gospel of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.